0: I'm going to preach on this theological doctrine that if you turn on your TV any given Sunday, there is a lot of preachers who, if you listen to them preach for more than 10 minutes, they'll have you convinced that God is mad at you. And what church has become about is about stopping God's wrath i got to go to church, i got to do this, i got to do all these things, and I'm going to try to teach this tonight because it is theological, but it has everything to do with our identity and the way we perceive Christ and what he's done for us. And so what happens is, every Sunday there is preachers, because of their lack of understanding, unfortunately, we have a lot of preachers who get into ministry and they learn how to preach before they learn what to preach. Um, Reading your Bible is not enough to simply understand your Bible. Uh, these letters were written to a specific people. They was geared towards a specific people. How many know the book of Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth? The book of Hebrews to the Hebrews, Philippi, Philippians to Philippi, and, and, and on and on. And so what we have is a we have a, a targeted audience that these things were written into. And when these Letters were written. Paul never assumed, just speaking of the letters of Paul, he never thought that there would be a biblical canon. What is a canon? It is a collective book of uh, letters, a gathering of letters. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is several books that is put together, and we call that a canon. And what's happening is is most of the time when reading Scripture, we assume, and I want you to stay with me here tonight because this is going to educate you before it transforms you. And one of the things that happens is Paul, writing his letter, he never assumed that we was going to have a book that we 2,000 years later open up and read Paul. He was never writing to the American church. He didn't even know there was a U.S. of A. I don't know why they put the of A in there. He didn't know that there was an American church. When Paul talked about the whole world, he wasn't saying the whole world as we know it. These lands have not yet been founded. He was talking about in his world, it was a very small world because there was, there was not as much navigation that has taken place as it is today. There was no search for new lands as it is today. And so there's so much that we need to gather in that. Why? Because we have preachers that are preaching and teaching the Bible as if it is a moral book. As if God stands over us as a moral agent that is allergic to sin, that is allergic to failure. And he beats us over the head with this moral book saying, if you don't line up, if you don't measure up, just like I said, then all hell's going to break loose in your life. And every time something bad happens, it must be God. Car breaks down. Oh, the devil's at work. Couldn't be because you didn't change your oil. It probably had nothing to do with that. That you didn't change your own. probably had nothing to do with that you've been hitting every pothole in the city. Probably had nothing to do with any of your lack of disciplines, right? We love to blame the devil because the devil is the scapegoat. You'd be surprised at what the devil is not involved in in your life. Most of the damage that we face is decisions, And so what we have happening is we have people that are preaching a gospel and it's persuading people to believe in God as this moral monster rather than a father. So today I'm talking about Happy Father's Day. It's time that we stop serving the God that we have imagined and start serving the real father. Because some of us have fallen captive to the God that's been taught to us, but is not the biblical God that Jesus reveals. Why did they hate Jesus, first of all? Here is a guy who was anointed. Here is a guy, you know, and and let me just say something about the anointing. The anointing is such an attractive thing. I used to have a youth pastor back in the day that, He wasn't the nicest guy all the time, and there was a lot of things he did that I could say, man, that was not God, that was not Jesus. He would not talk that way. He was very, very hard. He was very um, abusive to some degree with his words, Um, and there was things that we would get into relational Issues all the time to where I would constantly be hurt or he would say something that would offend me And I was a kid so I wasn't grown to be able to To think this stuff through from a healthy perspective and then being a kid that my my natural father has left I looked to my youth pastor. as kind of like a spiritual father and so with that I took every word that he says as very very uh weighty and so when he would say something that would hurt it would really hurt from the inside and I will never forget man The guy was just anointed. There was no way around it. He could be a jerk on the right side. But when he picked up the guitar and started worshiping, (laughs) I remember being in the crowd like trying to be mad at him. And I was like, (laughs) you know, eventually he's got to throw up a worship with him because it was so anointed that it was like, this is God's man. Whether I like it or not, whether I like what he said or not, the anointing has a way of attracting you. So I want you to think about this in terms of them rejecting Jesus who was the anointed one. This man was so anointed, so intuitive, so discerning, so powerful, so graceful, so influential that the world as they knew it couldn't get enough of him. He got to the point where the crowds got so big that Jesus would literally have to get onto a boat and stand onto the boat as the crowd would come out in droves. And he would have to teach as he's standing on the boat because there was no room to move. It got to the point to where he could not go anywhere. It got to the point to where Jesus had to transition at night. That will preach. It got to the point to where he was effective so much that to go to the next city, he would have to travel by night so nobody knew it was him. Sometimes God transitions you at night. you complain because you can't see right now. God said, I'm just moving you. This is a, a crazy concept. Now, why am I saying this? Because we need to understand this very clearly. They rejected him. But why would they reject him? Because he revealed the nature of God in a way nobody before him has ever revealed it. We've never had a prophet in the Old Testament come up and say, you've heard it said, but I say. Y'all following this? You've heard it said, but I say. What is he doing? He's correcting their perceptions. The Old Testament, and watch this, y'all. Man, I hope y'all get this, because this this will impact your your, your view of God greatly. The Old Testament, there's there's a doctrine called inerrancy. Has Anybody ever heard of that? Nobody? Here's what inerrancy is. Anybody got a real Bible, physical Bible here? Yep, here we go. Good old New King James. Inerrancy believes that every word... In this Bible, every single word is thus saith God. It's called the doctrine of inerrancy. It believes that it's inerrant. The problem with it is the Bible never claims to be inerrant. It claims to be inspired. There's a big difference between something that is inerrant beyond question And something that is inspired. Now you ain't going to hear this in most churches. You'll hear it in theological seminary all day. But in most churches you'll never hear this because we've been trained to view a book as unquestionable. You read something, I can't question it. That's the word. That's what God says on it. Well the problem is there's several times in scripture God changes his mind on something. There's several times where we see one time where David, the Bible says that Saul was filled with a demonic spirit and threw a javelin at David. And the next time it says God told him to do it in a different verse. You'll have passages as um, there's so many places in scripture I could spend an hour just talking about how one person saw it and he gave a detail that the next person who saw it did not give the same detail. It's imperative to also realize that the Gospels themselves, and this is going somewhere, you got to be a thinker to stay with me on this stuff. It's imperative to realize that everything we know of Jesus was not his own writings. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus didn't sit down and say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God These are things that he said that people remembered by the spirit and then wrote down But these letters did not come until about 60 years after the death of Christ What am I saying there's a big deal That i'm trying to make as it relates to how something is perceived Our perceptions our Really what the Holy Spirit's trying to get here to change so that we re-image who the Father looks like. It's not that this book does not carry the words of the Lord. It is inspired by the Spirit. What I'm trying to get you to see is that there's things in this book that if you take every word as thus saith God, then you can, you can pretty much grab a scripture to back up anything that you want to do. There's things in there that, I'll give you a good example. You go to the book of Job, Job loses everything, family, livestock, has disease, all this stuff. He's getting ready to just lose his mind and his boy Eliphaz comes to him and he says, listen man, God said, this is what Eliphim said, in the book, he says, God says that you have You're suffering all this because of sin. So here's Job at his worst point in his life. His his best friend is now saying this is happening because you're sinning. Now here's Job who's been faithful even in the persecution. (laughs) And he's saying he's sinning. So here's Job getting kickwise down. Three chapters later, God shows up through a prophet and says, thus saith the Lord. He said concerning elephant, the one that told you sin. He said that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Here's God in Bible correcting another part of the Bible that they both made the book. Why? Because it's inspired. God allowed us to still keep the stuff in the book so that he could see that even in our best attempt to serve God, we still miss it sometimes. Why? Because that's real life. Now, here's what I'm trying to get you. Jesus shows up. The church of the known day cannot deal with this guy. Why? Because they're trying to use. God as a resource to avenge everything they've lost under tyranny in people like the Babylonians, people like the Persians, and now in Jesus' time, Rome. Rome's coming in, they're taxing them, they've already come in and infiltrated at this point in history, and so they're waiting for a Messiah that can show up, gather the people, and then they can fight back with an army because that's their view of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is why the Bible says that the kingdom of speaking of the kingdom that has suffered violent and the violent taken by force. If you're still using that passage in the new covenant, I'm telling you, you're missing the heart of God. The kingdom of God suffered violent and the violent taken before. It does not mean we're supposed to be violent. That's not what that passage is talking about. It's saying the kingdom of God suffered violence in meaning in context that the kingdom was being taught by violent men. That's what it's talking about It suffered violence that the kingdom rather than being taught like Jesus taught it, that is peace, righteousness and joy in the Old Testament that by the time Jesus showed up, he's saying, y'all got to y'all y'all seeing the kingdom wrong. The the kingdom suffers violence. It's and listen, and they're taking it by force. You cannot forcefully and violently represent the heart of God. If there's anything that Jesus is against is violence. There's never been a war he's endorsed. So all these crusades and all this stuff that happened in the name of Christians, they all missed God. You cannot rape and kill kids and say Jesus is the one telling you to do it. He's the guy that says, turn your cheek and do good to those who despitefully use you. He condemned violence by submitting to it. His primary message, thank God for Martin Luther King Jr., who would be a man that would stand up in a day of tyranny, wasn't doing it for popularity. He became popular because he was preaching the gospel. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't preach his own message. He was regurgitating the heart of Christ. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he carried enough influence to do what they wanted him to do, but carried the right heart to avoid it. He had every tool that you needed for them to reform it the way they seen it but had the right heart to stay away from it. Why? Because as, notice in the Bible that he says love your enemies. He never says love mine. Why? Because he don't have them. Who you view as an enemy, God views as an assignment. It's a family dispute and he's trying to reconcile it. Because they may be your enemy, but they're still his son or daughter. They're every bit a part of his creation as you and I are. Doesn't mean what they're doing is right, but he's trying to get to them. Love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. This message offends the Jews of that time. Why did he go to the cross? Why did they want to kill him? Because their agenda could not stand up with this type of teaching influencing people. Are you watching this? He was starting to teach about God the Father in such a way that people was now starting to see who God really is. He was never this this God, this, this moral monster in the sky that was looking to crush your world every time you fall. He was never this guy. So we're going to get into scripture here. Give me about 15 minutes to work this, but watch. Let's go to Romans 5 just real quick. Y'all still with me here? Yeah. I'm trying to get this to you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Let's watch. Let's turn the mic on.
1: Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Mm. whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly do
0: it. die. Okay, right there is theological stuff. Now watch this. Just the right time when we were still powerless or still sinners, one version will say, what happened? Christ died. For what? For ungodly. Think about what that says. That means that you and I did nothing to deserve it. Why do you think you still have to earn it? I need you to get that here today. Why do you think you were saved by a free gift of grace, but somehow in Christian thinking, we get saved by grace, we come down, we say, thank you for forgiving my sins, I accept you tomorrow." and then somehow we get religious after then and start trying to earn it. You received it free, but now why are you still trying to earn it? The reason Jesus showed up is because we couldn't do it. There's no way that you and I can earn it, so why are you still trying to earn it? You're not maturing in grace if you're trying to work and earn this favor. Jesus did not go to the cross and die a horrendous death so that we could turn around and work for it. Because if you're working for this, rela- this righteousness, if you're working for this, this status of righteousness that has been accredited to us through Christ, you're spitting on the work of the cross. One of the hardest things that you'll ever have to face as a Christian is messing up but still knowing you're his. It takes a real maturing there. Because on your worst day, what do you do when you mess up? God, forgive me. Why are you doing that? You're already forgiven. It's not a forgiveness issue. It's a repentance issue, but it's not a forgiveness issue. Repentance and forgiveness are two different things. Metanoia, the Greek word, repentance is a change of what? It's a change of your mind. God needs to, why you keep doing stupid stuff? Because you got some issues in your head that is just just needs to be dealt with Uh uh-huh part of repentance watch this we keep trying to repent at an altar you might need to repent at a counseling session because you need a change of mind you might need to sign up with with, i got one right here come on lift your hands come on now black owned business too. support y'all i'm there you do counsel white people right okay i'm just making sure tell all my brothers listen so it's 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 one of these things repentance you got to stop thinking of repentance and forgiveness is the same thing jesus is not going back to the cross to die for you again every sin that you've ever sinned he took that and bore that at the cross that's done what you sin and do tomorrow is forgiven it's not an issue of that it's an issue of repentance repentance You are not righteous by your own doing. You're righteous because you put faith in Christ. It's that simple. Watch this. Let's continue here. I want to get to one particular chapter, one particular verse, and then we're gonna move.
1: But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yep. Since we have now been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath what? through him?
0: Saved from what? Y'all catch that? Since we've been justified by his blood, in other words, he bled, he died, we've been justified. What What are we saved from? The wrath of God. So why are you walking around thinking God's mad at you? You know, repentance is very hard to do. Anybody grow up religious? How many grew up in a church where... You was walking on eggshells the whole time. I know some of y'all, because this pastor, and I know y'all's story. Some of y'all, it took you a good year of coming here for you to even wear jeans to church. He's like, no, the devil, won't, I, need, I can't show my ankles. Send somebody to hell. Can't wear no makeup. Send somebody to hell. It's like, man, if, if showing your calf muscle sends somebody to hell. Them people need deliverance. If the barn needs painting, paint that boy. Come on now. God don't care about you wearing makeup, my Lord. We've we've gotten so religious, and it's because of a misinterpretation of God. It's because of a lack of context of study. Here's what I'm saying about religion, y'all. Religion takes time to detox. When I first start coming into grace, and I, start, I heard the grace message, I thought the preacher that was preaching it to me, I thought he was missing God. Why? Because it didn't feel right. Why? Because I've been being fed this garbage for so long, I didn't know what real spiritual nutrients was. And I was like, man, that don't feel right. And I would stay in this, this, this thinking, this wild religious thinking that was producing nothing but death to me, And had me religious and had me, you know, focusing on the wrong stuff. It took a while for God to detox my heart. Repentance is not a one decision thing. Repentance happens continually. You have to marry the image that God is trying to get you to see. And you have to walk in it with covenant. Covenant. You said, no, 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 he said I'm just about Bible faith. So when I start feeling condemned, I need to tell myself, I need to override what this feeling is and tell myself I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and start walking it out. You will always walk out what you believe. If you believe that you are still a sinner, you're going to walk out sinning. But if you believe you're the righteousness of God, you're going to walk out who you are in, in that identity. It's the gospel. And so Jesus is trying to reimage the way that the world sees the Father here. Now, just real quick, I'm going to skip over a lot, but go to Luke 15 here, and, and I'm just going to read this. I'm going to try to get this quick, but everybody knows the prodigal son story, but I want to, I want to look at something very um, intriguing here for a second because we read the prodigal son story, but you've got to understand why Jesus is saying the prodigal son story. Now, look at here. I'm going to go to verse 1 because there's something very very intriguing about verse 1. Before he even gets to the younger brother and the older brother. Now watch this. Watch this. Let's read.
1: Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him.
0: Why, did, why is tax collectors and sinners in the same group? <laughs> because the Romans was the tax collectors. They viewed them as sinners because they're taking their money. A matter of fact, I was at the T-Mobile store today, and uh, I was paying my phone bill, and the lady at the, the cashier told Haven, she said, uh, Haven come up, and said, Dad, I want this new iPhone, and I said, how much is it? She said, $800, and so Haven's going to say to the lady, it's just $800, Dad, just pay it, right, and so Haven said, I do have a business, ma'am. I sell candy at my church. I said, she said, how much you make? She said, I made close to 50 to 80 bucks or whatever like that, Right. And, and so the lady says to Haven she says well how how many, how many services do you got to do to pay for this phone bill and she said eight and I said no nine and then the lady said yeah that's you know because we all got that uncle and she said what uncle I said we're all related Haven we all got the same uncle Uncle Sam and she said who's Uncle Sam everybody in here related to Uncle Sam Haven how many know Uncle Sam say amen we are she-
1: <laughs>
0: don't tell her don't tell her no. don't tell no Uncle Sam only comes around it's, as you said, is Uncle Sam God? just close <laughs> very close <laughs> he might be <laughs> it only takes three letters to spell his name <laughs> So, so, so the tax collectors and the sinners so let, let, let's pick this up here real quick first two so watch here here's
1: the context but the pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them then jesus Y'all ch- them, whoa, whoa
0: watch how many believe jesus is the son of god okay hebrews mm-hmm. tells us now watch this we're going to get into the final conclusion If Jesus is the son of God and Hebrews tells us he's the exact representation of God, that means that what you see in Jesus, the father is like. Did you see what just happened? They're eating. He's sitting with tax collectors and who? Sinners. He's sitting with them. He's chilling with these people. He's not sitting there saying, you know, I come here to preach a sermon. He's actually just sitting with them. Probably wasn't even talking about nothing remotely close to what he's getting ready to get into. He was probably just loving on the people. Maybe finding out what their kids' names are. Anything. He's just, some transformation happens as we just love on people. You don't have to preach to people all the time. Let your life preach. Preach at the level that they open up. And if it's slow, then you need to be very slow to speak. Don't nobody want to hear your sermon when they can't see your life. People only listen at the level they trust and any relationship any relationship that's not listen any relationship that's not real and authentic it's it's not gonna work don't matter what they say to you to 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 please uh, to appease you it's it's not gonna work so here's Jesus. He's sitting here, watch, but watch it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, (laughs) this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. These guys represent God, y'all. Look, he's sitting with these guys, these sinners, and he's eating with them. Let's continue. Jesus told them this parable. He wasn't even talking about nothing like this yet. So who's he really talking to in this parable? Is he talking to the people he's sitting with, the sinners? Or is he now bringing this up because he knew that the Pharisees was tripping? You don't know how many times Shawnee and I have been under attack by other leaders in this city because we preach the grace of God. You have no idea. The religious spirit will always, always be harder to free people from than sin ever was. It's easier to free a sinner from sin than it is a religious person from religion. Why Because they're indoctrinated with it, most of the stuff you think is wrong isn't necessarily something God said is wrong, it's what your church said is wrong, and some of the stuff you think is right isn't necessarily right, it's what your church said is right. The holy spirit is is the measure it, the measurer of of, of what's right or wrong inside of you. He'll tell you when you', yeah, don't touch that. Don't do that. Stay away from that. That's going to produce death. That's gonna, don't do that. Doctrine is not a rule. It's a living organic thing inside of us that talks and teaches us. Paul just happened to put it down. Write it down. But doctrine needs to be from the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever touched something or did something that the Holy Spirit said, no, stay away from that? That's because you got a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Watch this. He says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not, <laughs> does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. Let's p- continue here. Go ahead. Uh, you can
1: read Pastor And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. (laughs) Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents.
0: Now, we're going to read this. Here's the prodigal God story. Now, we're going to read this straight through. Now, I want you to watch this. You've heard it in church. You've heard preachers teach it. But I want you to see it from a different angle. He's not talking to the sinners that he's sitting with. He didn't even start talking like this until the Pharisees and the religious spirit approached him. He's sitting with sinners. He's sitting with these people of bad reputation. Now watch what Jesus says. There was two conditions that surrounded Jesus at this point. One was sinners. The other one was Pharisees. He's about to bring both conditions up in the form of brothers. One older who did everything right. That's the Pharisees. The younger who did everything wrong, that's the people sitting at the table with them. Are you catching this? <laughs> They're the sinners. So he's a younger brother. So Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees how the Father looks and what he really does when we mess up. Is he sitting over you like a moral monster saying, Man, I told you to not do that! No. That's not God. That's not how he does it. Matter of fact, it's the goodness of God that draws you to repentance. God will be so
1: good to you that you have no choice but to surrender. That's how it is. So watch here. Let's read. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Who was the man? Come on, follow me now. This is
0: a parable. This means this did not actually happen. It's a story. Who's the man? Who's the father in the story? God. God. There's a man that had two sons. One was a sinner, the younger brother. The other one was a what? Pharisee. The one who did it all right, showed up to church at the time, paid his tithe exactly. I can always tell when somebody just was born in a tithing church because they tithe. It's a hundred and three and ninety two cents today. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you it was taught to tithe, baby, because that ninety two cents is right on that mark of ten percent can't even round that mug up. 103 I love it. Thank you for giving. I can use that $0.92. Cents. So he, watch this. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me a share of the estate. He divided the property between them. Now watch
1: here. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squander his wealth in wild living.
0: Anybody ever had some wild living? Ooh, got quiet. Anybody has a wild living?
1: All right. Let's after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Man, I
0: could preach on this guy. I, there's so much. And listen, a severe famine after he spent everything? The way God advances his agenda is put a famine in the earth. And what it does is it empowers everybody who learn to save. because when everybody is in a famine, everybody listen, resources move things, and if you spend everything before the famine comes, you have nothing to leverage. God uses famines to change empires. It's how the kingdom advances. When everybody, when the world's going, what am I going to do? I don't have no money. I spent it all there. I, I took that vacation. Oh, man, it was so fun, but now I ain't got nothing to live on. <laughs> you out there in the sun, you, the same sun that was there is here. But you went and spent all your money because you just bored you needed to do something. Right? And now you have nothing. You ain't paying your bills. All the stuff that you need to live, it ain't there because you was, you needed that temporary high. Right? To distract you because we pay for distractions. Come on, if you, it sells. Ask Walt Disney. Come on, he built a living, an empire off distractions. People spend good money to be distracted because they, they don't want to think about their own real reality. And so because they hate what they're living in, I, I, I can't wait to go over here and chill out with Mickey Mouse. I'm going to pay thousands of dollars to do it. Get home back to my reality. and It's even worse now because now I don't have no money and I'm miserable. Famine is God's way of exposing those who was diligent so he can posture them for change. Real leaders emerge in famine. When you're getting more than enough, you need to quit spending that more than enough. You need to put it in the bank. You need to put it in savings. Why? Because there's a famine that's coming. God really don't ever give more than enough. I don't know where we really get that concept. What he's doing is He's giving you more than enough for that moment, but it's meant to be spread out in a moment. You're going to need it. There is a famine coming. So let's watch.
1: So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So
0: he's getting ready to repent. Now watch this. What does this say to you? This is what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we're we're approaching the father the wrong way here. Now watch this. He just spent all of his resources. He's saying in his heart, I'm going to go back home. He's got this repentance thing. I have sinned against you from heaven and against you. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I'm giving up my right to be called son. Because I messed up. I bet at this point the Pharisees listening to him was like, that's right, Jesus. Amen. Doggone it. These sinners, they need to hear the truth. You better preach. You get a loud amen when you're preaching law. Religious folk are always louder for some reason. I don't know why. Same folks that was crying Hosanna the day before was the same folks crying crucify him the next day. Kind of weird. But watch this. He said, I'm no longer worthy because son, maybe like one of your hired men.
1: Watch. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off.
0: Okay, here's here's what God does with your weakness, y'all. This is what God does with your failures. This is what Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees. You think he's going to be ticked off. But watch what
1: happens. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, wait, quick. "Wait, wait,
0: wait! You mean the father didn't respond to his repentance? He didn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> this dude was in the pig pen, coming up with a beautiful plan to get right back with the father, and the father didn't even respond to it. It's like, Dad, I'm sorry. Say, yeah, 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 quit. Go grab the robe." <laughs> Go grab the rope. Kill the the fatted calf. How does the calf get fat? Huh? How? Feeding it. Who was feeding it? The younger brother wasn't in town, so who was feeding it? The older brother. He didn't know that his diligence was only preparing the meal for the celebration of the return of the failure. I'm, try- I'm trying to get you to see who God is here. This is who God is. He's feeding the calf, thinking he's following all the rules. God's saying, I'm going to use your lack of understanding just so that I have something to feast on when my younger son comes home. You stay diligent, but I'm going to use it. He said, listen, he said, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring out his face. He didn't deserve none of this, did he? The best robe? This dude stinks like a pig. He's been living in a pig pen. Not only to mention the father already knew it. Why? He knew he blew the resources because look at the way he's looking. He's coming on, he's begging, he's broken. The father doesn't kick him while he's down. He says, get the best robe. I'm going to make him look like my son again. <laughs> this ain't. You. How dare you say you want to be a higher? Are you out of your mind? You think what you did makes you a servant? You're a son. I know what you did. I know. Listen, I see what's happened. I can see tragedy all over your life. It doesn't mean you're not a son anymore. How dare you try to come and serve me? You are my son. Let me give you a glimpse of the real inheritance. You could have never spent your inheritance. The son failed to realize the inheritance is the father, not what he gives you. The inheritance is the father. And so Dad says, he says, put a ring on it. The finger, the sandals, the feet, bring the fatty cat, kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. Who you think is about to get mad? Look at the next passage. Flip it. Everybody's
1: celebrating, but this
0: religious devil.
1: Look at here. For this son of mine was, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Woo. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Oh,
0: here's the Pharisees with just amen in them. Oh, they were just amening amen in them a
1: minute ago. And here goes God. <laughs> when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was Isn't going on. Isn't it funny
0: on. that a religious spirit will serve God? He's serving God here, but he's not close enough with God to realize there's a celebration going on. Religiousness will serve God from a distance, lacking the intimacy required to really effectively serve the kingdom. They're doing duty, but not sonship. They follow the rules, but they do not bear the heart. Come on now, they don't carry the heart of God. They do not carry the heart of God. They're more interested in you following the rules than becoming what God has called you to be. I'm I'm at a place in my life, your sin does not offend me. Every single one of us has got it. If you don't believe it, let me hang out with you for a few days. I promise you I'll spot something. Both of us. We are all who we are by the grace of God. The best thing about Vertical Encounter Church is that we keep it real here. You are in a house that loves you unconditionally and that's a fact and we're going to walk with you through whatever because that's what the grace of God does that's what the love of God and we don't do it as a doctrine we do it because God has transformed our heart to feel for people the way he feels for his people amen so look at here last point your father has killed look at your brother has come he replied your father has killed the fatted calf oh, I know that got a man He's been feeding that joker. Because he has him back safe and sound. He killed the fatty. He killed the fat one? <laughs> you mean I've been going in there faithfully following the rules every morning getting up at four, feeding this? You could actually say heifer. It was a heifer. <laughs> feeding it and he killed the fatted cat. Look, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat calf for him? Notice it wasn't a question. Look after him no question he wasn't looking for an answer for that that's what religious religious people do they'll yell their offense at you never creating space for you to actually give an antidote he wasn't interested in the father's wisdom here so what he says my son the father said you are always with me and everything i have is yours watch how he checks him watch this I just like your voice reading.
1: <laughs> but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
0: This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here's what I'm trying to say to you tonight and I'm closing. the is. What am I trying to say? Happy Father's Day. God is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's the God that sees you from a distance. And he's running towards you. He's running towards you. One version talks about God, that the father took off his sandals and actually ran. To imagine somebody young running is one thing. To imagine a patriarch running. You understand that it, the older we get, the more it hurts to run. It takes off his sandals. There's my son. The compassion that's in his eyes. My son has come home. His son's like, damn, my son. He's like, ah, kill the fat cat. But he's ready to party. This ain't the time to start checking him. This is the time to start loving him. Why? Because the younger son had the beauty of learning a lesson the older son never could. That when you fail, and when you make the biggest mistakes in your life, God is still right there to pick you up. Your father is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. You you are not sick because of the wrath of God. You are not going through what you're doing because of the wrath of God. That's been satisfied in Christ. Tonight, I'm trying to explain to you that you need to lift your head because God is on your side. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. He threw it into a sea of forgetfulness. Don't ever come up under the yoke of bondage again. You are forgiven, man. You want to change your life? Start changing your mind. I'm getting ready to start uh, this coming week a series on the transformation of the mind, which is going to be a three-part series on the mind, the soul, and the body. Yes, we're going to talk about what you're physically eating as well. Because it has everything to do with everything real transformation you want to change your life, change your mind, it is not God stopping the goodness of what, what he wants to do in your life he's still there rooting for you he's trying to convince you, he's trying to pull you in, but this mind man, this you got more of an enemy here than anywhere if we can get this mind together there's people in here that are secretly, you are tormented in your mind on a daily basis. One thing I've learned this week in a valuable lesson is that torment doesn't have a face. There's somebody that could be sitting next to you right now that is absolutely tormented in their head and in their mind they go to sleep depressed they wake up depressed they have all kinds of fears and anxieties it paralyzes them they want to run from it they want to do anything and everything they do to distract themselves from it they're tormented and it's all in their mind and i'm telling you that's where the enemy that is his playground and if we want transformation we have to renew the mind what i'm trying to say is god is not the one responsible for your circumstance he loves you He's a good father. He's a good, 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 good father. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You received that tonight?